Good morning, everyone. I'm doing the Bible reading this morning, so if you would like to um, uh, look in your own Bibles or on your apps with me, that would be great. It's from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Good morning again. Bit of a bittersweet day, isn't it? Um, I did forget to remind everyone, though, we will be celebrating with cake afterwards. Not that you're going, uh, but just celebrate uh, your time with us, Jared. So, yeah, please stay afterwards. We've got uh, a couple of cakes. There'll be plenty for everyone. And it's good to have Summer back as well. Thanks for, for letting us. Um, we're going to hear uh, from Summer in a couple of weeks um, about her journeys. Some she's mentioned to the pastoral staff some of her adventures, and it's been encouraging and exciting, so it's wonderful. Well, let's come before our God and pray and commit this time to him as we open up uh, his word. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you uh, for uh, this time, this time of year we have to uh, celebrate uh, the coming of Jesus as we did at Christmas and the new life that he brings And Father, as we think about the new year uh, coming tomorrow, uh, we just want to commit ourselves to you. We pray, um, Father, um, that those that aren't with us today, that you'd be with them. Uh, Please encourage them. Um, Give them rest for those uh, who are needing refreshment. Those who are unwell, um, would you comfort them and strengthen them? And Lord, we pray that you'd be with us now as we spend time with you, um, as we spend time thinking about this uh, wonderful passage in 1 Peter. Amen. Well, I want to start this morning uh, by this kind of same time of year of, you know, that period between Christmas and New Year's. But I want to take us back uh, to 1944 and 1945 uh, during the the Second World War, uh, and in particular to a concentration camp of Auschwitz. It was a prison camp uh, where many uh, terrible things occurred. Um, 
Some of you might recognize it. It's working, is it? Yeah, some of you might recognize that photo. Um, if you've seen that old movie of X-Men, uh, that opening scene, that was quite powerful. Uh, that's, that's the place there that Magneto was in. That's beside the point. It, it's, it's a place, though, where many people were deported to, uh, over 1.3 million people just in this one place. And yet only 200,000 uh, would survive. So over one, 1 million people uh, who would meet their end, who would never see their friend, family, homes uh, ever again. A lot of lives were lost at this place, but there was also this bizarre and you know, catastrophic event that happened between that period of 1944 of Christmas and of 1945, where there was this kind of unanticipated increase in deaths for, for no apparent reason. It was strange because it was clear the losses weren't due to you know, those terrible uh, things of exterminations that were happening, or, or it wasn't due to the food shortages, or even to you know, more cold or anything like that, or or even just, you know, worsening, worse living conditions. Now, the thing that many feel was the cause uh, of this uh, event, including a psychologist named Viktor Frankl, was centred around the subject of hope that we have up on the back screen, of hope. You see, many prisoners at this time had a strong belief that by Christmas they would see their loved ones again, that they'd be released uh, they perhaps had already heard rumours on some of the fronts that allies had made advances. They had this strong belief they'd be reunited with their family. And when this hope was not fulfilled, though, it appears that the prisoners just lost the will to keep going. You know, when their hope was not fulfilled and, and what their hearts were longing for was not met, then their minds and their will gave up. And with giving up their will, soon their bodies soon followed. Uh, that psychologist, uh, Viktor Frankl, who I mentioned, he was very familiar with this ordeal, you see, because he was one of the, the prisoners. He was a Jewish man who was there at Auschwitz. And he was struck by the, the amazing strength that hope provided to people in this terrible place. But he also noticed the misery of those who had lost hope. He said this, Frankel said this, that those who lost hope developed a certain look in their eye, a fatalism that inevitably ended in death. They experienced, he goes on to say, that they kind of experienced a complete loss of meaning and a sense that nothing really mattered anymore. Human beings need hope, don't we? Hope is powerful. It propels you forward. It gives you a sense of purpose. And what's wonderful is that this coming year, 2024, we're going to be spending our time on this theme of hope as we kind of step out later tonight into this next year. So I thought it'd be fitting for us today, as we're on that, on that cusp of, of you know, heading over into the new year, that we'd spend our time on this subject of hope. Because I wonder, um, actually I'm quite sure that there's people sitting here, a few people sitting here and listening that are in need of this word right now. So we're going to be looking at hope, and, and in particular I want to look at three things. Uh, I want to look at its destination, I want to look at its foundation, and also its definition, except the other way around. So definition, then look at the foundation and destination. And we're going to do this by looking at uh, the first chapter of Peter, First Peter. 
We're not going through a complete exposition of this passage. It's an amazing passage, and we'll probably actually dive into it next year a bit, actually. But it is a very key part of Scripture that is helpful for understanding hope, the hope we have. And see, Peter was written, this letter was written to a people who certainly needed to grasp hold of the hope that they had in Christ. He's addressing people here that um, we read the, the, the passage of Bithynia and Asia and all these places, uh, Cappadocia. And, and if you, as you can see, that little red bit over there is where we're looking at the place of Revelation. And so some of the things are also happening throughout the wider area of Asia Minor. People were suffering loss for following Jesus. They knew what it was to be rejected, not only by their community, but by even their family. They knew what it was to suffer insults. They experienced strong oppression and, and you know, they'd not only risk losing their jobs, but they would have even lost positions in society. Many of them even having homes and their possessions taken away from them for following Christ. See, these Christians, Peter calls them, doesn't he? Foreigners, exiles. That's how they felt now in their home where they grew up and lived. So it's amazing, isn't it, that Peter starts this letter to them with that of hope. So what is the definition? What is hope? What are we talking about here? And in particular, what is Christian hope? Uh, When we use the word hope in our everyday conversations, uh, we do it all the time. We hope you had a good Christmas or something like that. But we, we normally use it in a way that is talking about something that doesn't exist, that we desire and long for. It's something we... Uh, anticipates it's kind of like a wishful thought or on the other hand it could be something of a strong desire of what we have about the future but it certainly comes with uncertainty doesn't it it's like it's always got a question mark around it you know we might say I hope it does stay 30 degrees all next week or I hope that I do well in my uni degree or I hope I get that job or you know I hope I do well in my training or I hope he asked me to marry him Or I hope she says yes. It's kind of a desire, isn't it, that we have about the future. But it's a a thing that we, the way we use hope every day, it's kind of like mere optimism, isn't it? And so you could say if you're an optimist, you know, that half glass full type person, then you're probably known to be a pretty hopeful person. You know, probably quite motivated in life and you get quite happy and excited about the unknown future and, and possibilities. Of course, if you're a half-glass, empty type person, uh, someone who's a pessimist or even a realist, you tend to be weary of hoping for things because you might want to point out, what if they don't eventuate these hopes? What happens if they're taken away and stripped away? Like, wouldn't that lead to someone being worse off than if they'd hoped in the first place? maybe like those who were in Auschwitz that Christmas. It's a good point, isn't it? Because it, it does make us question then, what is it that I have my hope in? So hope's a good thing. But in the way that we generally use it, it's just merely optimism, isn't it? It's based on something thin and insubstantial. It's just based on chance and possibilities. But the thing is, when the Bible speaks about hope, it is very different in the way it speaks, isn't it? It's similar in that it's talking about something not yet, something we don't have, but it speaks about it with just like this loud certainty, doesn't it? You know, when we speak about faith, we say that a good word uh, we can use is that of trust. 
you know, that I trust in Jesus. I have faith in him. And it kind of picks up that active notion of your belief, doesn't it? So, you know, to have faith in Jesus is to believe, but also to trust him. What do you think is a good word we could use in the place of hope, do you think? Anyone got any ideas? That's too many ideas. But maybe a good word that you might be thinking of is that of expectation or assurance. Expectation is a good word, I think, because it captures that idea, doesn't it, of a strong belief that something's going to be. You expect it. But I think the Bible's even stronger than that. I think, I think I've come to the conclusion you've got to use at least two words, something like a certain expectation. It's firm. And, of course, we ask the question, why? Why do we say this? How is biblical hope so certain? Well, it's so certain, isn't it? Because it's not based on possibilities or odds, is it? It's because it's based on a person. Our hope is in God, isn't it? It's, it's based on who he is and on his words and his actions. That's what Peter does when he begins this letter. He praises God greatly as being the foundation and source of hope. He says there, praise be to the God, oops, expectation, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Christian hope's very different from how we use the word, isn't it? Because its foundation rests on God. The God who says and promises it, and, and friends, when God speaks, it happens, doesn't it? When God says, let there be light and life, the whole universe comes into being, and you and I are sitting here today. When God said in the Old Testament that he was going to do things, when he said he was going to rescue his people who were under the oppression of a a powerful, mighty uh, nation of of Egypt, and God said he's going to do it not by another army rescuing him, but simply by the word of his power and by his powerful works. And it was done. God created a new people of Israel. They went through the sea. When God speaks, it's done. I love how... Uh, the book of Hebrews uh, states this in Hebrews 6, 13 to 18. When, when he, the writer there is talking about this same source of hope that those have in the Old Testament uh, had. Listen, listen to this in six, Hebrews six thirteen. I think I've got it here. So in 13 it says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. And then down in 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly To the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Can you see what Hebrews is saying there? Like, it's as good as certain. Why? Because in the past, God said it. It's done. It's happened. But more than that, it's like God says, I'm going to double down and show you. And he promises it with an oath that's against himself, doesn't it? He probably makes that oath on himself. It's amazing. So when Israel looked to their hope, this is where their confidence came from, isn't it? It's from a God who spoke, who promised he would do it. And they knew he would do it by looking back, didn't they? Looking back on on him as their creator, of all things and of their Redeemer, the one who rescued them. And I'm sure you can see that's actually where our hope is too, right? Our hope isn't based on optimism or odds. 
it rests on God who always fulfills his promise. Our hope also looks back too, doesn't it? That's what we see in the passage of 1 Peter. Peter says there that God raises the dead. Uh, where is it? There we go. Praise be to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is the key and foundation to our assurance and our hope, friends? It's Jesus' resurrection, isn't it? Jesus died for your sin. He was buried and God promised he would rise and he did. And here's the thing of where our hope is. God promises us too that we who trust in Jesus, he will raise up our mortal bodies from the grave. God has promised that. He said it and he always keeps his promise. We can, can't we? We can, right now, look forward with great certainty to that final day of being raised to newness of life. And I I can say this with all confidence, that this hope we have in Jesus, it's more sure than the rising of the sun tomorrow. It's more sure than tomorrow itself of 2024. Uh, Many years ago, uh, a friend of mine went to live in Europe for three months. Uh, and as he did, he lent me his kite surfing gear uh, while he was gone. He said, feel free to use it, just don't break it. And spoiler alert, I did, I did kind of break it. Um, now, kite surfing, it can be a little bit dangerous. Um, you know, when the strong gusts of wind come, it can pull you up or can pull you down and flatten you on the water quicker than you can imagine. Uh, and that's okay because when you learn how to kite surf, you also learn about this safety feature that's there. It's basically a hook that's attached to your harness, and this hook uh, pulls from the middle of the, the kite when you kind of release the handle, and it deflates and depowers the kite so you can kind of get, regain control. But of course, if things are really getting out of hand, then all you do is you let go of that handle, it completely pulls the middle, deflates the kite, and the, the idea is you can kind of get back into position and get going again. But what happened to me is when I took uh, my friend's kite out one day, um, uh, I was at Melville Waters, if you know where that is, it's kind of if you'll... Imagine heading from Apple Cross on the hill there, heading across to kind of King's Park area. So I was there uh, going across the water. It felt good. I was doing well. Um, but then, of course, I must have got distracted. Uh, all of a sudden, I noticed that the kite was swinging down into this area. It shouldn't have been at the position I was in. Uh, but that was okay. I thought I'll just quickly let go of the handle before it can do anything. And so I did. I let go of the handle for the safety uh, feature to attach, except... It didn't, did it? Because that hook that was attaching me to the kite broke. So there goes my friend's kite, off into the water, blowing, still powered up. It's not depowered. And it lands on the water. And straight away, I'm thinking, I've got to get this thing. I'm pelting towards it, actually pushing my board, swimming as hard as I could. And uh, yeah, I thought I could get that thing. But if you've chased an inflatable beach ball across the ocean in really windy winds while swimming, you, you can't do it, trust me. <laughs> But as I swam, like, you know, and this kite got, you know, maybe two further, two metres down as I went every metre, uh, I was probably swimming, I don't know how long it was, 15 minutes. I was completely exhausted. And in the end, I just realised there is no way I'm going to get it. And I'd, I'd pretty much given up hope of retrieving that kite, um, which wasn't good. I don't know if you know that water, but ferries, those big ones, go through from, from the city through to Fremantle. And I just thought, oh, my 
My friend's kite's going to get sucked up in one of those turbines that they have. I think they've got turbos, haven't they? Like the jets. Anyway, but if that didn't happen, I couldn't see any ferries. I thought, well, there's Mounts Bay Road. It's going to end up on a car. might cause an accident. And I was just wondering, treading water, wondering, what do I do? Like, exhausted. Do I swim that way and try and get it? Hopefully it hasn't, uh, you know, come to, to pieces. Or do I head back, get my car and go around? And anyway, as I was thinking this, a fellow kite surfer rocked up. Uh, I had a newfound friend who said, climb on, you need some help. Grab onto my back of my, my leg. So I was like excited, you know, I've got a chance now. This guy can just pull the kite and we'll both, t- you know, safely go towards my kite and we'll be able to retrieve it. All will be well. Except it turns out that kites and kite boards designed for one person, they do only work for one person. All it did is his kite was all over the place. Uh, you know, probably 10 minutes we tried. He got exhausted you know, trying to hold this big body weight on him. And I got complete, completely exhausted. And with a quick, sorry, mate, there goes my new friend off into the sunset. He left me treading water, even more tired than before. And I was just exhausted. But I think this is a good illustration, uh, in a way, uh, for the way we use the word hope. Like, you know, when I thought I could swim after it, I had this little hope that I could, like, get it, get this kite in time. But it wasn't the case. But also the way we place our greater desires and hopes in things with no foundation. We do that sometimes. We place our trust, don't we, in things that are just incapable of providing any real or solid assurance. And so then when it fails us, it leaves us worse off than before sometimes, doesn't it? Sorry about long story. My story didn't end up there. I'll just finish it up quickly. Uh, Because what happened is, uh, as this guy sailed off, a few moments later, I heard a noise behind me. And you could probably guess what the noise was. It was a boat. He looked like he was coming towards me, and he was. And with a quick, quick mate, jump in. I have to say, when I flopped into that boat on the back seat, I pretty much knew right then. I had this sense of relief that I knew pretty soon that I'm going to be going to get my friend's kite and we'll be back on the other side with that kite completely intact, except for that hook, of course. But I knew that, didn't I? And why did I know it? Well, it was based off my experience. It was based off my experience of how boats worked. You know, compared to my swimming abilities, boats are a lot faster. Uh, You know, boats, uh, you don't get tired sitting in them. You also don't drink a lot of river water. But you can see that I I had this kind of expectation now that soon I I would have this kite and get home because I was now safe in the boat, wasn't I? And I kind of like to use that metaphor for, for how we speak about Christian hope as that solid foundation. Because we're kind of in that position, aren't we? In Christ now. We have, haven't we? Our sins have been forgiven. We've been rescued out of that position of danger. Out of that place of the weariness of sin and, and of, of that you know, inevitable fate that we we're awaiting. And just like being in the boat... We have now been pulled into complete safety. We're safe in Christ Jesus. We belong to him. We are in him. That's what Colossians 3.3 says. You have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. But here's the other thing we know, don't we, is that we're not back on land yet. You know, as Christians, we are still on that journey, aren't we? We're still having to, to run the race. We're still fighting the battle. We're safe in Christ, but we still are awaiting that destination, 
that goal as we head home. And that is our hope, isn't it? Well, it may lead you to one final question that we have this morning, and that is, what is the destination? You know, what is it that we are hoping for? And I don't want to spend too much time here, but have a listen to how Peter puts it in his, in his passage here. In verses 3, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter here is using you know, that Old Testament language of inheritance, isn't he? But he's not speaking here of, of that physical land that Israel was longing for, you know, a place that can disappear, that can be taken away or ruined. But Peter says in, he has in mind an eternal inheritance. It's something that will not perish It will not fade. It can't be taken away. You know, when I feel like I fix something around uh, the house, what happens? Something else breaks, doesn't it? You know, I fix the reticulation and then the bore pump goes and then you replace that bore pump and then the roof breaks a month later and then you fix the roof, the aircon's gone. Things break down, don't they? They disappear. It happens with cars. It happens with everything. It also happens to many of the hopes, the greater hopes we have in life for our future, don't they? Things that this world tries to offer you, things we look forward to that aren't certain. And these things can fail. Actually, they eventually will fail us. One day they will disappear. So what is our inheritance? What is our hope? Well, I think you could uh, think about it a bunch of ways. But if you were to use one word, I think maybe you could use this word. You could use this word glory. That is our hope, isn't it? The hope of glory. Romans 5.2 has this. To see God in all his magnificence. And more than that, that we have been promised to share and be included and caught up and share in his glory. So that's one word you could use. Another word you could probably say is salvation. That's the word Peter uses. Where our body and soul will be completely made whole. You know, where the old corruptible, the old broken being is made completely new. So salvation is another word, but I think a better word we could use if we were to use one word is God, isn't it? Our hope is Him. Psalm 73 says, My flesh and my heart may fail. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is our hope, isn't it? He's who we're longing for, to be with Jesus, the king of the universe, to be in the presence of almighty God, standing before him, not because of our own deeds, but because of the Lord Jesus and him alone, to stand in his awesome presence. And what will that be like, friends? What will that be like? I have no idea, I have to say. I have no idea. But but what I do, do know is that it's going to be more real than what you consider real now. It's going to be more weighty and glorious than what you can imagine. I feel it's going to really blow our minds more than we could think. Uh, Romans 8, 
has that wonderful phrase, doesn't it? Especially in times of suffering where he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Uh, I don't know if you like C.S. Lewis. I've read many of his books. I do recommend reading his Narnia series, uh, The Chronicles, especially to your kids. Uh, He's got quite a few books, though, that try to capture the indescribable uh, nature of what is to come. There's another book, The Great Divorce, as well, which talks about how it is more solid and real than anything we can imagine. But but one book in particular from his Narnia series, uh, his final book, The Last Battle, in it he tries to kind of capture... Uh, the indescribable nature of what is to come and how it's more richer and more fuller and more realer than we can know or understand. And he does so in this phrase, which is further up and further in. Further up and further in. It's repeated over and over through the last two chapters. What happens is as the children kind of enter that last door and they're going through, they're just blown away by how, you know, this place that they're seeing reminds them of Narnia, that wonderful place, except that was just like a picture. And they're blown away by its beauty. And then they hear this phrase again, no, no, further up, further in. And as they go out, it seems like they go to an even bigger and wider area of land. And it goes higher up than they could ever imagine. And they're blown away again. And they're urged on by this speed and urgency. And they can't believe the energy that they have. And this energy is not even fading. And they hear the call again, further up and further in. And they go up and it expands even wider. And it's amazing as you get to the end, And you look back, these kids look back uh, at at what they'd been through and realize that all of that beauty and glory that just got bigger and bigger, further up, further in, was just a mere doorway. It's just the beginning. Further up, further in. To stand in the presence of the living God in all his glory, the one who is holy, holy, holy. To be in the presence of pure, overwhelming love. To be in the place of indescribable and uninhibited joy and peace. Overwhelming is not going to be a sufficient enough word, is it? And this is our hope. This is our great certain expectation of all who trust in the Lord Jesus. It's certain and it's living. It gives life. It's not lifeless. He just says it's a living hope. It gives you energy. It gives you purpose in the here, now, right now, today. What does that mean for us? Well, as we wrap it up, let me give us just a few things that this hope we have should do in our lives today. Firstly, if you've been ridiculed, if you've been insulted, if you've been rejected, even by your own family, there's no need to be frightened, is there? For God has already accepted you. He has you safe in his hands. But neither do you have to fear any of the future or any of the unknown. For you already know your final goal and destination, don't you? But it also means that if we've been beaten down by life uh, and its miseries, you know, we might be hurt, we might be really hurt, but we cannot be crushed. Because the hope you have in Christ It lifts you up. It keeps you going forward toward your hope. In fact, it means that if you're to lose everything, doesn't it? If you lose every single thing, you could keep getting up and running the race for Jesus because 
the hope you have is certain and sure. Like I said, more certain than the sun coming up tomorrow, friends. And finally, this is a big one of Peter, and it's actually one that I have to say I, I know that I have to work on and think about, is that this hope should make us rejoice, shouldn't it? Christians should be people that smile despite our circumstances, to have joy despite everything going on, because your hope cannot be taken away. God is guarding it, and he is guarding you. As we head out tomorrow, 2024, my prayer for all of us is that we might grasp more richly and more deeply this certain hope we have in the Lord Jesus. I'd love to pray for us, and then we're going to spend some time together in communion as we celebrate the hope we have in Christ as we come to the Lord's table. But let's Let's pray. Come uh, before the Lord with me in prayer. Yeah, our great uh, God and Father, we do want to thank you for this day that we've had um, to spend time together, to spend time with our voices, uh, reminding one another of who you are, reminding each other of the forgiveness that is found in Christ and of the hope we have. And we thank you for the time we have of uh, praying and crying out to you. And for this time we have to uh, remember and celebrate um, just this year we've had with Jared. We thank you, Lord. Father, I just want to pray for each person here uh, this morning. I pray that uh, we would grab hold of the certain hope that we have in Jesus, that this Next year would indeed be one that is defined and shaped uh, by our hope that we have. Lord, we ask uh, that our grip on this hope would indeed grow tighter and tighter as our grasp on the things of this world would just be less. And we pray this, that the Lord Jesus indeed would be glorified on that final day. Amen. as we